Hello, welcome to Call It Like I See It, presented by Disruption Now. I'm James Keyes, and in this episode of Call It Like I See It, we're going to discuss the concept of wokeness in our society and the ways in which it may be a driver of positive change or something that has spiraled out of control and is being used to impose certain viewpoints and points of view on everyone. We'll also take a look at the addiction to caffeine, which is something that is seen in societies all over the world, but present in the U.S. to a a particularly high degree, and try to figure out whether this is something we should be concerned about or just, you know, part of the day-to-day life that not to worry about. Joining me today is a man who was waiting on the right time to shoot his steez, Tunde Ogonlana. Tunde, is now the right time to flash them keys? Either now or never, bro. <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> it's uh, never too early and never too late. <laughs> That's it. You, you, I'll I, let the audience figure that one out. <laughs> all right, now we're recording this on July 18th, 2021. And for the ba- past decade or so, we've seen the concept of being woke become something that has been very prevalent in our conversations in our society. And while there's no universal definition of what being woke is, at its core, it's as the terminology suggests, it's referring to being awake and aware about what's going on and used in the context in society around you. You know, what's going on around you and our interactions and, and you know, as from a societal standpoint and particularly as it relates to matters of inequality and social injustice. Now, it was initially used primarily in the context of racial inequality and injustice faced by black Americans in the U.S., but now it, you know, it's, it's used more broadly and is often used generally to refer to an awareness of perceived inequality or injustice in lots of different contexts, you know, including with women's issues or LGBTQ issues and so forth. So to start, it off, start us off, Tunde, just looking at the modern concept of being woke generally what stands out to you? Great question. Um, I would say this: What stands out to me, uh, number one, is is that this is now a used more as a political weapon in, in the modern culture, um, as opposed to like many things we've discussed. I'd say in recent months, um, and just reading the the history of it one realizes how far back this goes. So I learned in preparing for today's show that the concept of woke in the United States goes back to the 1930s. And you're right, absolutely right. It was an African-American kind of terminology. And what's interesting, uh, it it first appeared at that time more as the kind of stay woke or stay awake when being kind of a black man dealing in a white environment. Because there was, um, you know, as we know from the majority of this country's history, if you were kind of the lone black man or person out there in a hostile environment in this country, there wasn't much protection for you in certain parts of the country. So, you know, when let's say musicians would tour in the South and and be driving through certain areas, there would be kind of this terminology, stay woke when you're in this part of town or that part of town, kind of stay awake, you know? <laughs> and, and then, and then, so literally it was about just kind of protecting yourself yeah. and, and being Hi- aware having of that heightened awareness, like, Hey, you know, correct. You heightened awareness. Yeah, you can't just float and, through this, you know, on autopilot. Exactly. And so and so that was the kind of start of it. And then through the 60s, it became more of that 
um, awareness of, like you said, the, 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 the societal awareness about injustices, things like that. So again, kind of like when we did a few other recent topics, you realize this is nothing new. So then I start leading my brain into, well, why are everyone talking about it now in 2020 and 2021? Like this just showed up when it's been around almost 100 years in terms of as terminology. And I think, you know, we'll, I know we'll get into this in the conversation going forward, but I'll end my thought on this is uh, my opinion is this is now used as another uh, arrow in the quiver of the cultural wars, if I can put it that way, from a political lens to uh, stoke emotions in people and get them fired up. So yeah. I'll pass well, the no, baton back actually, to you. Well, you passed it in the, in the perfect place because that's what stands <laughs> out to me about it right now is that we did a show maybe a year, maybe a year and a half ago uh, about descriptive terms becoming no longer about the description anymore, but we called them gang signs. You know, like socialist is not about what your view on economic policy was. It was a gang sign. It's like, oh, I represent this set type of thing. And <laughs> it seems like woke has entered that thing now where the way it's used in many instances is not in accordance with an actual description, but it's it's to 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 show an allegiance or a contempt for a certain approach. And so that leads right into what you're saying as far as how the culture wars has kind of been what happens with a lot of these things is our ability to dis to discuss issues once they get sub subsumed into the culture wars it, we can't talk about it anymore. It becomes something that you're either on one side of it or you're on another side of it. And if you're on one side of it, it can do no wrong, at least publicly. You can't say anything about it being, uh, being have anything wrong with it. And publicly, if you're on the other side, you can't say anything about it having any redeeming quality whatsoever. And so that it, it creates this binary where, and, and woke is there now, basically, as far as how it's perceived in many places in our society, just the term itself, it invokes certain feelings. It, it, it's tied to feelings now, the term itself in, in our society. And so, and that's from a standpoint of trying to understand, you know, whether like you look at something, does it have a good point? Is it in, from coming from a good place? Is looking at all those things, that stuff's out the window now in terms of the, the discussion of woke now. It, it's, it's just, it's a pejorative if you're in some sense, or it's a sign of, Hey, I, I'm on your side, so to speak. If it's used in another sense, so I mean, that's again from my context and my standpoint, that's unfortunate because you should be always whether if you support something, you should always be looking at it and saying, "Hey, or, or, is this still consistent with what we're trying to do? Are we missing the mark? Do we need to readjust?" And then if you're against something, ideally, if you, if you're all in the same boat, like all in the same country, the the objective would be to more so be constructive with the things you're trying to, to push back on as opposed to just emotionally, I hate all this, you know? And so it, none of that can happen basically with the conversation of woke now. And it's, you know, so that's- well, Let me jump in oh, on wait, that real quick uh, because there's a couple of things to unpack with that because I, I, I see it splitting into two separate directions. One is, like you said, very, I think accurately about the kind of gang signs, you know, really we're alluding to the, concept of tribalism, which is just a human thing, right? And it reminded me as you were talking of conversations we've had also on other shows about America being this exceptional experiment, almost against human nature, right? Yeah. That the idea that the constitution, the, the, the way that we have the three core equal branches of government is designed to create an air of debate and that differences from a political level or a tribal level, let's say, right, 
can be worked out through reason and debate over time through these different branches and bodies. And going back to- As opposed to, just to, let me, let me like flesh that out a little bit, as opposed to just one side dominating. Like yeah, in well, your normal human context, one side just says what it is. And that's how it's been here. One side, meaning one tribe, one, one point of view is just the dominant point of view. And then everybody else- you may have it, but that that's not a point of view that's accepted. And so in our in our the way we're set up, what you're seeing now is kind of an embodiment of that where it does allow other side protects other points of view and they can bubble up and become more prevalent, um, can potentially can live alongside and flourish alongside other points of view. So you can have many streams of points of view, so to speak, operating side by side in theory is kind of the setup to allow for that. Now, again, that goes against human nature because one side is, is only, or whatever, one one point of view is going to try to exert dominion on the, over all the other. And, you know, that there's your friction right there. But go ahead. Yeah, and, and that's where, you know, alluding to one of my favorite things, as you know, George Washington's farewell address, where he warned us against the passions created by the quote-unquote kind of political parties and, and, and the term I like to use, the tribalism, and I think, you know, you've, you've alluded to this too, right? Chinese Communist Party, really the communist part is just, you know, to keep the tie-in with Mao and the hundred year of, of that stuff. But the reality is it's an authoritarian party uh, rule with one party. There's, yeah, no one party. Other, yeah. there's no other views. And then even the show we did last week, I thought about as we we're preparing today about the, the whole Afghanistan thing and the Taliban stuff, because again, the Taliban represent exactly what you're alluding to, which is you know, no one, no other thought except our thought is even allowed here. You know, yeah. and, and if and if you think about openly being hostile to what we feel is right, you're dead. I mean, there's no, um, there's no um, even questioning there. So, so what? Again, our country was designed to try and fight those passions by putting in a system that would force debate and conversation. And so that's what we're seeing today, which is. Not uncommon in American history that as we have certain changes in our society, whether it be demographic changes, economic changes that cause some sort of, um, let's say, angst or hostility within the population, that then there are those, you know, whether it be politicians, corporations through the media, so on and so forth, that look to take advantage of this by creating these, what I would say is um, binary choices, like you said, right? So if now I'm being told that this idea of woke is bad to me by the people that I trust, right, whether it be those in the media or those in, 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 in uh, politics, so on and so forth, then anything those people there that I'm told are quote unquote woke have to say, I, I can't hear it. I can't even, uh, you know, like yeah. allow it to come into my space That's because it's That's the point bad. of creating that emotional tie to Correct. it because you, if it's emotionally repulsive to you, then you can't even let it in because it, it it's discomfort to do that. And, and so, well, let me, let me, let me jump in because yeah. what you said basically, I think illustrates the challenge and, you know, when you have multiple groups, multiple tribes, so to speak, or points of view really is what it's about in terms terms of worldview, in terms of values, things like that. And there could be 90% overlap, but even in that context, if there's 90% overlap, the 10% is what everybody's going to talk about all the time. You know, so yeah. if you have that, there is a difficulty in finding the lines of what you could call reasonable social decorum. Like, how you should be treating people 
um, what level of respect you need to show and or or in, in terms of the context of debate, you know, like what's fair play and what's over the line? That's hard to figure out more or less. And we're trying to figure that stuff out. It, it, you use the you can use the term building the plane while you're flying, you know, because when you have these large groups, you you have people are trying to find the line and that doesn't even get into the people who actually want to be antagonistic. This is just talking about the people who want to operate in good faith. And but it, it's hard to find the line. And so concepts like wokeness, so to speak, are there in many respects to try to add to the discussion of where's the line? Is this over the line or is that over the line or not? But that, like anything, can potentially be abused or wielded in ways that aren't about trying to find the line of what's reasonable, but to actually go too far and say, no, no, no. Well, anything I don't agree with is is bad you know whether anything i don't like subjectively is bad and so i wanted to ask you though i mean and i think we should we should get there in in the context of the united states because that's what we have knowledge yeah. about do you think in our in our society right now and this is i mean i'll give you some space here because this is a lot um but do you think woke <laughs> culture so to speak or, or the approach that has been adopted and and just what we see what we're observing has gone too far do you think that that, that it's no longer now about finding those lines from a reasonableness standpoint and more so either to be punitive or to, to get retribution for past things or anything like that. What, what's your thought on that? Um, it's interesting. Cause I guess in preparing for today, my thoughts kind of evolved, I should say. It's a good oh. way to say it uh, because I hey, would have that answered mental flexibility. Man, <laughs> why we're all here to hear your, your thoughts, man. Exactly. That's, that's why let we're me, here. let me do my, do my gymnastics. Um, <laughs> But as I'm getting older, so I got to stretch a bit, you know, before I pull something. Um, <laughs> so the the so where was I going with that? Is yeah, I, I would have answered you probably just a quick yes prior to, like I said, my little mental evolution here, because uh, because I started. That's why I like history because it, it kind of calms you down that what's going on now isn't like the way it's been forever, uh, or sorry, isn't the first time this has ever happened, but is more of, this is just a perpetuation of how, how, how humans beings deal with change. So there's been other times in American history when we've had, uh, issues like this, forget about, like I said, in the thirties, starting in the thirties with the term woke, but with the idea that, you know, when the majority group has felt intimidated in the past, they've then attacked the kind of messengers who are, who are trying to just, whether it be sound the alarm of something. So remember back, we talked about this in, in another discussion about the idea of BLM being offensive to some people. Forget about the organization and, you know, I'm, I'm sure that that's any messy. organization- Not the actual yeah, organization, that's yeah, messy. Not, not, just the, the not whatever- Correct. Not yeah. what they do on the street, what they say, but this idea of just the terminology of Black Lives Matter and the immediate kind of knee-jerk reaction of people I saw here in South Florida throwing up flags, all lives matter. And so it reminded me, and we discussed that back in the 60s when Blacks were, you know, fighting for equality and all that and to be equal members of the society in, in a greater way, there were, there were marches and people would wear a, a sign that says, I am a man. And remember, I said, it doesn't mean that they were saying other people aren't men, right? Other groups. But it just was the idea that you're looking for recognition as a human being as e equal. And I would say that this is part of what this modern day battle is going. And, and this, is, this is where I'm getting at. 
the modern day kind of wokeness and then the pushback to it by certain Americans started around 2013, 2014, kind of between the Trayvon Martin, Michael Brown stuff, when, when the modern technology of the cell phone cameras, right, allowed a lot more interactions between blacks and the police to be filmed. And so this isn't new to many of us in this country that there were issues in the justice system amongst race, but I guess a lot of Americans hadn't seen this, just like in the 60s, when a lot of Americans never saw dogs being put on black kids in the South, right? That changed the nature of the dialogue in the country. And I think we've seen something similar in the last decade where the, the, the technology has allowed for a certain narrative to be told and another narrative to be broken. Uh, and so there's some in society who, who believe it and say we should continue to push forward and, and make things more equal and right as it relates to certain systemic issues. And there's other people that just flat out won't believe it, no matter what is shown to them. And so where, where we're getting at is that it goes, it reminds me of that quote that I had from that French his, uh, political historian, Alexis de Tocqueville. Once the majority has irrevocably decided a question, it is no longer discussed. This is because the majority is a power that does not respond well to criticism. So, and you've alluded to this in past shows where some people in this country have been raised to think that not only are they superior, but the country itself is perfect, that there's no flaws. And maybe the only flaws in the country are when people other than their group are other than them. either in, <laughs> either, yeah, yeah, literally, are either the ones in power or the ones that have done something to make the country look bad. And so if you go back to, if you are then or, saying, We're not necessarily done something to make the country look bad, just done something that they don't agree with. <laughs> yeah. And, and, so, and so if you're then questioning the country in the sense that, hey, there's injustices this, you know, here or there, whatever they are, then those people, again, will not respond well to criticism as the, as the quote goes. So I'll finish the thought off with saying that I think that's what we're seeing here too, because another stat that stuck out to me was that in 2014, remember around the time when I said some of this stuff started, is, uh, or I should say reignited. Yeah, gain gain uh, yeah. prominence, you know, Correct. in modern um, context. But 2014 was a very important year in American history that many people don't recognize, which is it was the first year that there were more white, sorry, more minority babies born in this country than white babies. 25% of babies born that whole year were Hispanic. So what happens is too is well, we're seeing this pushback to wokeness and cancel culture also as a response, a fear response amongst, I would say, a section of the majority group who believes that their power is waning. And another thing I felt- well, let, me, let me jump in right there yeah. because that actually is where I think, the, the, it's the part of the discussion that I think is not had because if the question is simply has woke- culture or wokeness, so to speak, has that gone too far? The people that are work, woke gone too far. You, if, you, if you answer that in a binary, then what you're doing is creating the same kind of two choices on either end of the extreme con construct. And so there are people who identify as woke, who take maybe misguided approaches or are too extreme in their approach in the same way that there are people who are, who fight against wokeness that are on the extremes of whatever that, of whatever they're saying where, Oh, you know, woke people are anti-American is like the just extreme stuff there. And what, when we have discussions like this, the key is to not 
focus your attention solely on the edges, on the extreme, so to speak. The vast majority of people who would identify themselves as being woke in the context of what the word means, I haven't gone too far. You know, the concept of wokeness is coming from a place of either hurt or empathy. And it's a desire to show respect towards everyone. And so in, in the same sense, you, you cited, you know, like, like the march back, well, I think it was in Memphis, you know, with the shirts, I am a man. It's it's a desire to to show respect to everyone. And can, I, can, can I jump in real quick on that? Because what I realize is the majority group doesn't care about empathy or hearing that side of the story. I think that's what, no, yeah. many of them do. Again, when you say know, that, you're, right you're about talking that. about the right, the, the far end of the extreme of that majority. Group. That's correct. So that's my and, point is that we can't train our eyes just, and, and you can't say that the majority group is defined by that just extreme. Just like you can't say you. that the guy, somebody wilding out on Twitter Who's who has woke all over his his profile? It represents all of the people who identify themselves as yeah yeah I'm woke. You can't take the extremes and then identify the entire point of view by that extreme. No, I agree, and that's where it's interesting. Where because it, it's treated differently on on both sides. So let me let me frame this out, which is because you, you you say something right. And when I was preparing for this, I started realizing the most woke and cancel culture people in the last probably 15 years were actually the Tea Party. Um, you know, the Republican Party suffered its own litmus test and cancel culture from within for many years. Yeah. Uh, because if you weren't willing to toe the line of certain views in that party, you were basically um, ostracized. You were out. You were and, called and, a rhino. You were called a snowflake. Correct. You were, yeah, all and, the same stuff. And, yeah. and so, because I was, as reading, I was looking, I was reading something, and there's a an intellectual conservative guy who I actually like. He's 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 a thoughtful guy, and I think he's you know he'd be kind of generally I would say my type of conservative. His name's Andrew Sullivan. He's a British guy, um, and I'm reading going to read a um, a quote from him because it made me realize this. So I'll quote here, and so the young inherent adherence to the great awakening, exhibit the zeal of the great awakening. They push heresy by banishing sinners from society or coercing them to public demonstrations of shame. We have the cult of social justice on the left, a religion whose followers show that the same zeal as any born again evangelical. And, you know, I'm not going to argue with him on that. What I realized, though, is, is kind of like you said, or you were alluding to earlier, I was like, that's fine. And he's not necessarily wrong. It's just that I feel like people like him tend to not see it when it comes from their side, and and when well, they see it out there, he he's citing it coming. Uh, it, this is just like what happened. You would say with the religious right type of thing, like you know, like it. it but what I'm saying is, I didn't see him in like like I'm saying 10, 12 years ago when when the right was doing it internally, um, which which kind of got us to this point where we have this authoritarian party now which does this, right? Because I think you're 100% right and you just hit something on the head. And and I want to make sure I, I point out my own words, right? I said the majority group, this and that. And you're right. It's not everybody in the majority group. It's not even a majority of the majority group. And you alluded to this recently in a private conversation where we were talking about something, let's say, like the Floyd murder last year. Mm -hmm. Immediately after that, the majority of the majority was like, yeah, that's BS. But what happened so quickly after the, the ecosystem of, of the right wing media 
begins to put all this stuff out there. Oh, well, George Floyd had a criminal record. Oh, he was on fentanyl. Oh, he was. And what happens is over time, enough people on that side then kind of get back into their camp, right? Because it's like, well, I can't go against what, you know, the people I trust are telling me. Ah, it's too bad for that guy. It becomes, no, it goes to your thing. It, it becomes a matter of tribalism at that point. It, correct, that, yeah. It, but that doesn't affect everyone, but that does. I agree, but but, kind of, but again, it kind of silences those who might otherwise be willing to say, yeah, you know what, that wasn't right. And I'm going to stick up with these people over here that 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 I didn't I didn't realize this was going on. When enough people in their own community might be like, well, you know, you don't want to be on that side and all that. Those well, two because, things have a No, that's what I'm saying. It's a technique. You make it a matter of solidarity. Um, you Correct. see the same thing, you know, like with police unions or things like that, where issues become not about the merits of what happened, but it becomes about, well, my side, I can't let my side show weakness or I can't be a, a weak link on, to my side. And that, you know, like it, it's something that I think can be framed as part of this debate, because also what you see. What we need a lot of times, and this goes into what you were saying, is that people who support the idea of being woke, of being not supportive, of being anti-injustice, anti-inequality, we actually need to be able to speak up when someone who who represents themselves as being as, as agreeing with those ideas when they go too far. I think part of the problem there's a natural tension always in terms of your people pushing issues at the front of the line versus people who are kind of in general support them, but they're not really driving things forward. And there, there's always going to be that. But the problem that we have a lot of times is because issues always become about group solidarity that I can't say to someone who like, I consider myself to be someone who is against inequality it is for justice. And so I need to be able to say to someone who also and who calls themselves woke and is also that when they go too far and say, look, I don't think that that is I think that that may be an overreach. I don't think the goal there is to be reasonable, to be fair. I think the goal there is to get just just to get retribution. And if we're going to go be about just getting retribution, then we're not going to be different than the people we're fighting against. And so and the same thing on the other side of that, if you say someone who views things from a different context, there's someone who's an all lives matter person. It's important, but they're a reasonable person. It's important for them to look at the people on, on uh, that are further on their extreme and be like, look, the thing that happened with George Floyd was was unacceptable. We should not be as a matter of solidarity pushing injustice, plain on television injustice just because we don't want them to to win any argument or something like that. And so I think that's the disconnect you have when you see things go to this area of solidarity is that people like so, uh, someone will be hesitant when someone does something that's not overtly racist or something that is is that is a true injustice somebody wearing cornrows or something like that and we're like oh you know look at that that that's that's the worst they're like no that's not the worst thing in the world you know like that's, yeah. it, are they mocking cornrows are they are they trying to is there a joke that it's all on all black people that how oh, they're haha they're laughing at black people with cornrows no that's not the case then hold on why are what are we upset about you know like like so there that needs to happen that conversation needs to happen and Every, if everyone feels like they're constantly on, on it, on, on the defense, though, the, oftentimes that doesn't happen. And that causes actually the groups to separate from the middle and move more towards the extreme because it doesn't it's not about the issues anymore. It's not about what happened. It's only about what side are you on? And if you are two steps 
to one side, then you got to run a marathon all the way to the edge because that's where everybody congregates, you know, in either direction. Yeah. Well, that's why, I mean, look, there's no country for old men in this one, right? There's no, a lot of us, I think, I'd say people like me, I don't want to speak for you, feel like there is no home. I, I, you know, both major political parties in this country have their issues and, um, Hey man, and both have a home here, man. I, I appreciate <laughs> it. Thank you, brother. I always knew I liked you. Um, I always knew you were a nice guy. Um, so <laughs> tell your wife she did right. Um, so, um, but no, the, 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 the thing is that it, that's why like in reading and preparing for it, it just, I felt like calmer. Cause I was like, all right, this is just another kind of BS episode in human history and, and our country. And that's why, again, if you understand and believe that human beings are human beings, this is understandable because it's all irrational and that's human yeah. beings. Yeah, and yeah, that's yeah. what I mean. Like you watching the news and people trying to rationalize why this and that's happening. Why? Because this is just humans. And so what we have here now is this division and this use of, all these terms, and like you said it well, that and and I think the way you put it is why I said there's no country for old men joke is is meaning like you're right. If if I'm one or two steps in a direction of something, then all of a sudden, if I depending on who I talk to, they're going to 100 percent classify me as as um as as that way. So and you like, you actually would feel pressure like internally. I think a lot of people will feel pressure internally to to not push back too hard against whatever side they feel like they're on and so forth. Go ahead. Yeah, because, well, you're just not allowed to have, like, nuanced views, right? Like, we've talked about this on shows. I'm uncomfortable with the transgender topic. Does that make me now a, a massive bigot that that hates anybody that's different from me and all that? No. I'm just being honest and saying I don't understand it and it intimidates me. That's life. I don't feel that way about the gay topic. You know, you know? we um, so, we talked about that the other day in, in a way that because I was pointing out to you that if anyone just says, hey, help me understand this better. I don't get what's yeah, going on exactly. here. Then what people do a lot of times is say, oh, you're anti that. And it's like, well, no, no, yeah. no. I wasn't and, trying to I, I'm trying to gather more information and make a decision myself. I, all I'm saying is that just because you tell me it's OK. I'm not going to just say it's okay. I want to understand. I want to make my own decision. So, but go ahead. I mean, I, I just wanted to point that out though, because we, well, that anti well, thing grows around so much. Because you could, you could take my comment there, which is a genuine comment. Again, I don't disrespect. I don't hate. I don't anything. I just don't understand it. And things I don't understand generally might intimidate me. Right. And so then I just kind of like look at it with a side view. But like you're saying, if I were to say that to one type of person, maybe a real big supporter of the trans community, they might just write me off as a bigot. If I say that to someone who hates trans people, they might think that I'm akin with them. Really, I'm not either. And we could say that about something like immigration. We've talked about it, right? I don't want open borders. I want a, a strong immigration system, but I, don't, I do not agree with separating a six-month-old baby from their mother. That's, to me, is cruelty. So, yeah. so whose side am I on? You know, and... and, and <laughs> And this thing is like, day. No, but, but also I see that with a lot of people like, and I'll, let's, let's, you know, I'll talk about our tribe, right? Let's say African-Americans. I've seen some people outside of our group generally want to learn or come in with genuine thoughts. And, and, and remember if someone's coming into you saying, I want to see what's going on here. And they ask a few questions. We should also have the kind of emotional flexibility to allow some breathing room for them to learn about 
our culture if we're serious, right? And, and, and so, as a part of that, someone may challenge you on something and say, "Hey, well, well, explain this to me," or "How does how do you how do you jive this with that?" and so forth. And to be able to 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 not take that as, "Oh, you're anti this," but you know, you 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 express. And I think a lot of times that comes though when someone feels like when they're asked questions that they actually can't give a explanation for. And then it's just like, well, no, you just have to believe it or you just have to agree yeah. because but somebody else might've been able to give an explanation, but I, I don't want to get too but far it's there. Also, oh, go ahead, go ahead. It's, it's also about a paradigm shift because I've seen that a lot, even with friends of mine uh, who are black, who are hypersensitive to everything. And I don't mean this as a knock on them because I recognize that a lot of us do have certain tough experiences in this society. However, I think we do need to be able to have some sort of skill emotionally and mentally to nuance these things and to try and recognize when people are doing things because they're actually racist or if they're just doing things like, and it's funny, I think Charles Barkley said this, you know, not everyone that's rude to you is racist. Sometimes they're just assholes. They do it to people of their own group, you know, th this behavior. Um, and that's what I mean that it, it, it's, it's like on the right where if, again, if I want to talk about American history in a way that's factual, that at one point uh, and, and still going on in certain areas like the systemic racism with uh, in the Justice Department and the police setting in this country, you know, there's facts there. That doesn't mean I want to defund the police. I understand law enforcement's important, but I can also I can carry two thoughts at once. Right. I can want to improve the law enforcement environment in this country and still understand that they're important in our society, right? Raising so, questions about something doesn't mean necessarily that you have to take the the a 180 type of, you know, the other completely other end of this of the spectrum position. And so but I, I want to end this, but I, I needed yeah. to say also that, and I think we should recognize this, there is a difficulty. Uh, and, and we've talked about this offline that Yes, but like what Charles Barkley said, you know, just because somebody treats you a certain way doesn't mean they're racist, you know. But I think there is a, a difficulty that we should acknowledge um, that Black people face a lot of time in this country. That any time someone treats you a certain way, or you feel as if someone treats you poorly or doesn't give you your fair due, you don't know. There's always that ambiguity there. Did that person treat me that way because of race or did that person treat me that way because of because I did something wrong or because they're just assholes or whatever it could be like there could be a lot of reasons and you never really know. And that's something that it, it just it, I'm not saying that as an excuse. I'm saying that as an acknowledgement of the that it, it increases the difficulty of navigating those situations a lot of times because, and I find this happens to the detriment of black folks a lot of times where a lot of times you yourself could be doing something wrong and then you don't get the outcome you desired and it would be easier for you instead of looking inside and saying, okay, well, what do I need to change about myself in order to get a better result for myself? It's easier and almost society will con condition you to, to look external and say, okay, well, that only happened because of my race, which could be the case, or it may not be the case. But either yeah. way, what you can control in that scenario is if you need to do some introspection and figure out, okay, well, maybe I shouldn't be, maybe I this move I made here was the wrong move. Let me address that. You may continually say make that same mistake because every time you get a bad result, you put it on race when actually there's improvement, self-improvement to be had, and you can miss out on that. And so that's something, that's a whole nother discussion. And, you know, but I just wanted that there is a difficulty there that in navigating that. And you just, it, it, it's hard. You got to do it. You know, you got to figure it out. So 
there's no easy way to get out of this topic, uh, but we <laughs> did want to talk about, uh, I mean, you and I are both coffee drinkers and you know, I shared something with you this week and it was a, basically the discussion is first off acknowledging that coffee drinkers, tea drinkers, you know, little, you know, regular tea, not herbal tea, but you know, tea drinkers in societies across the world, there is an addiction to caffeine. Caffeine is a drug, you know, caffeine. So what we, th- this is used so prevalently and, you know, it's something that is a part of our life. And if, if you actually take the, make the attempt to not be addicted to, to pull off a of caffeine, you will have physical withdrawal symptoms and, and you'll feel it and everything like that. But it also in this talks about the benefit, what, what coffee as a drug do, does to you, you know? And so I want to know, and we will get into, you know, we can get into either direction that you want to go with this, but from your standpoint, Tunde, um, what are your thoughts on caffeine as a quote unquote invisible addiction? And do you think it's something we even need to be worried about? Or is it just all good? Like we live with the addiction it's working for us, so to speak. And we just keep it rolling. Yeah, this was actually a really fun uh, article to read. And um, I think I'll blow your mind a bit with some of the stuff I pulled out of it. But uh, <laughs> Because, of course, I went in a direction that I didn't expect. But, um, no, to answer the question, yeah, I, I do think it appears, obviously, caffeine is a stimulant uh, that is addictive. And I can speak of it as a massive coffee drinker. But I joke sometimes and say I like to have coffee with my creamer because I like my French vanilla stuff, you know. So, <laughs> <laughs> so sometimes, like, whether it was caffeinated or decaffeinated, I, I think I'd still have, like, just four your five dessert in, in the, the morning. morning. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's the best way to put it, the, the morning dessert. So, um but in reading the article and 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 obviously understanding the, the the chemical nature of our brains and and that something like this enters it and and it acts as a stimulant that that we once we have it enough that our body becomes somewhat hooked to it right it's conditioned to want it and want those effects what what i found interesting was were the long lasting effects of caffeine i didn't realize how long it stays in your body so the fact that i drink coffee daily means that I'm 100% wired with caffeine at all times. Yeah. Every 24 hours at this point for years of doing it, yeah. you know. Well, yeah, it and, takes um, a day I think for 25% to be of yeah. it to be to be burned off. So like if exactly. it takes a so day, if we're drinking a day yeah. again the next day then you're just piling you're on. Just so t- at this t- point it back off. Yep. Yeah, it's it's intravenously, you know, like in our veins, you know, like <laughs> <laughs> almost like if I could see like a, like a drip at a hospital. So so that's where it became interesting to learn about some of the effects on the on the brain, on our brain chemistry. It, it was interesting to see that the general positive effects of coffee generally for the human body. So that was nice to see. But then I think the biggest thing I took out of it, of course, is where it all falls apart is. Uh, it's negative effect on our sleep. Yeah. And that got me thinking a lot about the shows we've done in the past and discussions on sleep, which is how, and so we both are been educated just through doing this podcast on, on different sleep topics yeah. of how important that is. And almost like cigarette smoking, uh, reason why cigarette smoking is so dangerous is not specifically because of the lungs is because it can create so many other issues in the human body yeah. from heart disease to, 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 to whatever. So I would say the lack of sleep is similar to kind of that, whereas it's not that it just causes or has the potential to cause one negative thing in the body. There's a whole bunch of negative things it could potentially cause based on who you are as a person. Which, your and then so, those effects can compound on each other and then lead correct. to other effects when combined. Those with like diet, talking about Alzheimer's like is yeah. one of the uh, biggest things from a lack of sleep over decades yep. is Alzheimer's. So imagine that 
maybe by me just drinking coffee every day and literally I, I drink four to five cups a day in the oh, morning. Wow. So it's like maybe I'm already punishing myself for when I'm 85 years old that I might have Alzheimer's because I just haven't had good REM sleep for a 30, 40 year period of my life. So that's the stuff that really got me thinking about actually <laughs> trying to go and tell my wife on our next vacation, I might try and go cold turkey of coffee so oh, wow. that I have a few days to let, the, uh, my, let my... Yeah, let my body adjust for a few days while I'm on vacation and see, see how cranky I am. I, well, I think you know. the, uh, <laughs> you, the, the baseline aspect of it that, you know, like we're if you do it daily, then it's always in you and that it affects your sleep. Those are key takeaways that I had as well. Um, the, the article, and this is from The Guardian, it'll be in the show notes, but talking about that 90% of humans, like everyone, ingest coffee or ingest, excuse me, caffeine regularly was shocking to me. Like what? Besides, like, eating, sleeping, breathing, there's very few things that 90% of humans do. And, and so from that standpoint, I that was just kind of interesting that kind of humanity as a whole has identified this thing as, hey, we're going to add, we're, we're just going to add this to our consciousness as a constant yeah. altered consciousness. Like, imagine 90% of people smoking smoking weed, you know, like something like yeah. that, like, and just being on the THC, just like, yeah, we're chilling. You don't want, you don't, you don't want my answer of what that was, like, but go ahead. <laughs> well, That'll that, be another show. <laughs> hey, well, but that actually leads me to, to my biggest Well, real quick, though, oh, okay, because, because on your, uh, just if, I just want to say it while you're on this topic. The other thing the article said, which surprised me, right? You're right. 90% of the human population is on caffeine, which is by itself amazing because not even 90% are on alcohol or yeah. other. No, what I would not say, at all. Not even close. Like, like alcohol being a legal drug, stimulant, whatever. And, I, and 90% of people don't smoke cigarettes in the world. You know? So it is pretty fascinating that this is kind of a quiet drug, really. Um, but also the fact that it's the only widely used stimulant that we all give to kids. Yeah. They were saying through the through fizzy drinks, you don't realize your kids are having caffeine through Coca Cola and yeah. Pepsi, and so it's just fascinating. That's Doping what I your kids to stop up, on man. It. Doping your kids up. See, yeah, but that's what we're doing. The but see now the, the the other thing that took away or that I took away or the biggest thing I took away though is that how tied into our modern society is, it, particularly I guess in you know if you go, go culturally with the U.S., but a lot of cultures, Western cultures or whatever, the the go 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 culture. Where you know just constantly moving, and caffeine is a drug. Like its effects, it makes you more energetic. It makes you you know faster moving. You know, you're thinking. You know, like all that stuff. Now, if you do it every day, obviously, what happens with any drug is that by continuing to do it, you're only restoring baseline. You're not getting all those benefits to the full degree, but you're getting them to some degree. But I look at modern society in terms of you know like how fast, for example, technology advances now. And so forth. And some of that's just the compounding effects of of growth and more people, more people figuring out stuff, more education around. But I think some of it's probably caffeine. Like if if caffeine wasn't a part of human societies around the world, I mean, we may still be from a technological sense. Like right now, if you just like take that out, take coffee beans and tea out or whatever, it, we may be just now flying airplanes or something like that. Like I just wonder about stuff like that. Like has this, has caffeine, has, has this been like a secret way like a secret weapon so to speak on our societies driving forward is that we have this drug that we all do or 90 percent of us do that sharpens our mind temporarily and so forth so yes you look at the negative aside negative parts you know like you said particularly with the sleep and how sleep is tied to such negative health effects and so forth but then also the positive side that 
people are doing it all and because it does have real effects it makes you feel a certain way and, and it, it actually not just makes you feel a certain way from a, a a like a standpoint of oh i feel good but i feel a certain way as far as i'm, I'm gonna go get go get go get go hunt or i'm gonna go you know do whatever i'm gonna do it makes you more of a go-getter so that part about it, and the, the reason i brought that up after the thc part was hey, just it that, reminds me of the uh, crayfish in the in the in the water stream exactly that had, uh, antidepressants and now he's hunting all he's it, all crazy yeah exactly <laughs> it's exactly that and so and i brought that up on the thc part is that because you know caffeine also can you know increase anxiety stress and all that and you know just so I wonder, like, if you if you replace that with the THC, would our societies just be all more laid back? Like, if ninety percent of the people were on THC, then so like everybody's just like, oh, you know, social well, media would be boring, but nobody's mad at each other. Everybody's like, oh, it's okay, man. We don't need to worry about that. Yeah, well, the, the funny <laughs> truth is, because you're probably right about that, but the real truth is, <laughs> this is probably explained going back to the first part of our conversation. We're all screwed up and irrational because people are one hundred percent medicated with both at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> think well, about it, smoke th- a weed. They, think about it. They smoke a weed, they smoke a joint, then they go and get a cup of coffee. <laughs> so, <laughs> so an hour later, <laughs> their body's all in flux. Well, but if 90% so, of the people but, are on caffeine, then that may make, uh, to your point on the other issues, that may make everybody view issues in a more extreme way because the caffeine is, is pumping them up. And so, well, you know, on a serious note, I mean, I think in today's modern world, right? I mean, what was it? Just in the last two weeks, we did the, that episode where I was joking about the crayfish, but about the, uh, the antidepressants in our water stream because of the amount that our population consumes, there is enough uh, disseminated through our urine that it's affecting the ecosystem and streams and rivers. I mean, yeah. the, 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 the chemicals are going into the animals and they're showing different behavioral effects. So think about that. So now we got to add caffeine as another kind of stimulant of the brain chemistry along with if people are on meds like Prozac or Xanax or things like that. And again, like you're saying, I'm not saying that it's good or bad. It's just an interesting observation. And it also got me thinking on a serious note, like I wonder what humanity was like before society or exposed to this it's just interesting like yeah. if we had a time machine because we can't appreciate it because that's what i was saying um and i'll get off my high horse here going back through some of the history stuff what that i pulled out of this that coffee was first being cultivated in east africa on the arabian peninsula um by the 15th century so that's the 1400s so and then by the 1700s it was really permeated throughout europe so really there's nobody alive right now and have and no living memory of society because it's been hundreds of years that the whole world has been on this stuff. Yeah. And so I'm just curious. I'm not saying for right or wrong. It'd just be, wow, what if we went back a thousand, two thousand years just to see what people were like? Like, are people they, just like, all more point? laid back? You know, everybody's yeah. just more chill. Like, so I, yeah, it's, it's. But, it's, but let me speak to something you said about, you know, we might've just been getting, you know, the Wright brothers off the ground today had we not had caffeine because the, the, the um, article did it at, uh, interesting job alluding to that concept so and and it also got my mind thinking from thirty thousand feet about things like globalism and global trade because i found found it fascinating right we don't have pre again going back to history like we talked about in the first uh, uh part of this this episode we don't appreciate the interconnectedness of the world so what did i just say that it was east africa which would have been primarily ethiopia Somalia, the Sudan, right? That's East Africa, where coffee originated. Mm-hmm. People don't give that part of the world credit for things like that. Then, um, you know, in 1570, there were more than 600 coffee houses in Constantinople, which is today's Turkey, right? In the Ottoman Empire. 
So we don't appreciate the, the, you know, the Arabs really were the ones that disseminated this to the world. And one, one of the reasons that it became so popular, and again, this is just the interesting um, cascading effects long-term of cultures and why things are so unpredictable for humanity. Because of Islam as a religion's banning of alcohol, think about that, mm -hmm. that you're not allowed to drink, especially in a strict Islamic world of the Ottoman Empire, then the stimulant that was allowed was coffee. And it also then stands to reason that in the coffee houses is where you had the great kind of discoveries and, and, and mine soup that brought us a lot of the mathematics of that era. So then you translate that to the coffee houses of, of France and England in the 1600s. And a similar thing, one could say the Enlightenment and certain uh, uh, changes that came about in European society may not have happened in the same way had you not had the ability to congregate in these areas of coffee houses. Because they were saying how it, it, the, the cup of coffee was one penny in London at the time, but what you got when you went in there was greater than just a cup of coffee. You got access to a library, you got magazines, and you had this 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 congregation of thought in the yeah. society for the first time. And they were and they joked and they said they don't think that the that the enlightenment could have been manifested in like a bar or at a pub. Yeah. Because it's just a different environment when you're congregating drinking alcohol than when you're congregating just drinking coffee. Because the coffee, the, the stimulation of the mind when drinking it's coffee. different. Well, no, I mean, Correct. alcohol is like, and I mean, alcohol makes you feel a certain way, but it's actually a, a nervous system depressant. Whereas coffee yeah. is a stimulant. And so, yeah, I think the, I, I took note of that as well in the article, how they talked about how, you know, in, in the, 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 the Islamic world where it originated, how it was. It, con it contributed to that was the mind altering substance was available that was available because alcohol yeah. wasn't available. And so it, it contributed to and was a part of these areas where these higher mathematics where the concepts of mathematics were being advanced. And then it goes to Europe and then boom, not too long after that. You have these different ways of looking at the world springing up and people congregating, talking about this stuff. And so, yeah, I mean, it, it's and, and, and one more thing on that. I'll go ahead. Oh, just just for the kind of the commodity side and the and the and the business side, I'll quote the article real quick here. It says to supply this demand in Europe and especially England required an imperialist enterprise of enormous scale and brutality, especially after the British decided it would be more profitable to turn India, its colony, into a tea producer than to, than to buy tea from the Chinese. And so what it what it kind of got me thinking was kind of like the American slave trade for with cotton. That also then the demand in in, in the more wealthier areas of the world, or today we could say it's the iPhone and a sweatshop in China, right? Yeah. Our demand in the first world then creates the imperialistic nature of our nations because they need to go and dominate where the resources, the commodities for the, the, the what we're demanding at home are. So back then it was, tea was very important so the and British also the actually, sugar that was happening in that's the what it said. Well. Yeah. yeah, they had the East Indies colonies getting them the tea, and the West Indian colonies where the slave trade was getting the sugar. Yeah, and that all culminated. And so, just again, that's what I'm saying is that it, it's it, if you look at it truly through human history, it's amazing because these commodities and our desire for them over time have also then created these migratory patterns because we've talked about it too right me coming to south florida and moving here years ago was the first time i learned that you have east indians in the 
West Indies, right? In the Caribbean, like descendants of Indian people in places like Trinidad and Jamaica. And, and you mean like people, India Indians? Correct, yeah, like yeah, India. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and so my point, I used to ask people, well, how did, like, how did people from India in the 1800s just find out about Jamaica? And that's what they would explain to me. Like, oh yeah, well, my great grandparents came here because they, because it was a British colony, they had free passage from India and they just had an opportunity to come here. And I'm like, wow, that's fascinating. Yeah. You know, just migratory stuff. So anyway, yeah, that's, I'm, I'm, I'm off my fascination of humanity. Hey, nah, never off that, man. That, <laughs> what, co- what, what, what coffee can bring us? <laughs> that, yeah, that's that's the drug you never can get enough of, man. So, I mean, and that's, yeah, like, I think the, we, we can close it up from there. But I mean, I think that the, the the questions being asked as far as when you conceptualize how just ubiquitous this is across societies, again, this isn't just one society, this is across humans in the world 90 percent. that's nuts and so you 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 imagine that and then yeah like i said the the fun part of that imagination is imagining without it because it does alter it's mind altering and and then any other type of mind altering such as imagine 90 percent of the people on any of those things and it's like it's a different yeah. world and so as this is, has developed <laughs> as this has evolved something we never even think about so it, it's yeah. thinking, imagine 90 percent of the people on everything we're already on <laughs> that's what i mean like yeah. all, the, all those stimulants and the stuff we well, probably don't even know and, and yeah part. i mean it, it, the quality of life part i mean like because 90 percent <laughs> of the people on in, in the world are on caffeine but also you know like Perhaps that drives the need for sleep aids and sleep medication as well, as you pointed out, because that's a big part of the, the caffeine so hold on. addiction is a big part of our problem sleeping. So my last statement is you're telling me we just got to buy pharmaceutical stocks. That's all. That's what I'm getting it, out of this whole conversation. Hey, man, everything comes back. <laughs> Money's not going to stop flowing to that. We got to keep fixing ourselves with another. This was a problem that they actually didn't create, but they figured out they, they got yeah, something they, for it. So everything. Yeah, they got something for it. <laughs> they got something for everything, man. So, well, no, we appreciate everybody for joining us on this episode of Call Like I See It. And until next time, I'm James Keys. I'm Tunde Guanlana. All right, subscribe, rate, review, and we'll talk to you next time.